Well, good morning. Did you walk off of my notes? <laughs> you need notes? Well, Come on, Dr. Frank, you need notes off. <laughs> He's just testing me to see how well I know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> We've been looking at how to pray effectively, and I hope it really has impacted your prayer life. I know it has mine as I've tried to put into practice some of the things we've been talking about. And I've broken our study into units. Today is our last unit looking at the teaching of our Lord. And we're going to be looking at two passages. And then, Lord willing, next time we're going to move into Old Testament passages and what they have to contribute with praying effectively. But today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 11, two key passages that our Lord uses to instruct his disciples on prayer. And we're going to basically learn that prayer is out of a personal relationship. We're having a warm, specific, personal conversation with our Heavenly Father. And our Lord teaches not that principle not only positively, but negatively in terms of the kinds of prayer to avoid. With persistence, we're going to talk about being persistent, demonstrating fortitude in prayer, and how that differs from repetition in prayer. We're going to look at the passage where Christ warns against meaningless repetition. And then we're going to look at some wonderful passages that promise us that God is going to respond to our prayers. So without further ado, let's jump in to the first passage, Matthew chapter 6. Let's begin at verse 5. Our Lord says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Notice that our Lord identifies these people as hypocrites. These are individuals who pretend that they are spiritual. The word hypocrite is literally used of an actor. Someone who masks his real identity and puts on a performance in a way that is calculated to impress his audience. Notice specifically, they love it when they are called upon to pray in the synagogue, that is the public assembly. It wasn't uncommon for a male member of the congregation to be asked to pray, and these hypocrites love the prominence and the platform that gave them to showcase their speaking abilities. The street corner refers to a wide and popular thoroughfare in town. Now, what our Lord is referring to is probably not going there to do their prayers, but rather if they happen to be in a public place during the appointed time of prayer, they would stop and pretentiously do their prayers in that public location. So when in public during the hour of prayer, they would pause and with great pomp and ceremony pray so as to garner the respect of individuals. So our Lord is warning against praying to be heard of men, to be respected by men. And we do see that occasionally. I remember a number of years ago, Rebecca and I were invited over to a couple's home for lunch. And as we gathered to, to eat the meal, the father said, let's pray. And he led, up, he led us in a very beautiful prayer. And as soon as he was finished, their five-year-old boy looked up and said, Daddy, why did we do that? 
<laughs> and in his innocence, I got a glimpse of the fact that apparently this was not the norm. And even the form of the prayer was probably meant to impress the guests who were gathered around that table. Notice that our Lord strikes at the heart of what is wrong. Notice that there is nothing wrong with praying publicly. There is nothing wrong with praying beautifully. But what is wrong with this picture is when our Lord says to be seen by men. So notice the problem is not in the form or even the location. It has to do with the heart of the individual. And that's why this text is particularly telling. Because just because a person prays publicly, prays in a very formal style or a very beautiful style, beware of judging their heart. This is one text that we are really encouraged to examine our own hearts and ask ourselves, am I the kind of person who prays to be impressive to individuals, who prays, whether you're asked to pray in church or even before your own family, to be admired and seen by men? Notice the sobering warning at the end of this verse. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. They want the praise of men, and that's exactly what they get. By implication, God is not going to answer their prayers. So if a person goes into their prayer time to be esteemed by men, and they garner that praise, then they've gotten that for which they were praying. So notice, in contrast, Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now again, Christ is not forbidding public prayer, but what he's saying, the norm for our prayer life ought to be a private relationship. Christ modeled this. He did pray on occasion in public, but often he would get away alone to pray. And notice he begins by saying that we are speaking with our Father. This is where the idea of a personal relationship comes. We talked about this when we talked about the Lord's Prayer, that our Heavenly Father is our Father in the best and highest sense of that term. He loves us, He cares for us, He provides for us, He's in control of our circumstances. So all of the warmth, all of the closeness inherent in that term should characterize our prayer time. Our Heavenly Father listens, our Heavenly Father cares, our Heavenly Father responds with good and perfect gifts. Notice he also encourages that it be in secret. Now, notice the when he says, go into your inner room, elsewhere that's used for a storage room or even a bedroom, and close the door behind you. Now, notice that if you do that, number one, you're not observed by people. Number two, it does afford undistracted prayer time. So one of the challenges in this is to ask yourself, do I have a conducive pray, place to pray on a regular basis? A place where I can get alone with the Lord? A place where I can be undistracted? Maybe leave your cell phone in a different room? Get away from your computer if it 
beeps every time you get an email, anything that's going to interfere with your conversation with the Lord, and simply talk to your Heavenly Father. Notice the wonderful promise at the end of the verse. Your Father who sees in secret uh, what you have done in secret will reward you. Now, I think the reward there is twofold. Obviously, it means he will answer your prayer in your time, in his time rather, generously bestowing that which is good, beneficial, and valuable. Interestingly enough, the word reward is also used of heavenly reward. So I think that as believers, we can expect that God is going to commend those believers who take prayer seriously and spend quality time in prayer. Okay, any questions or comments on the warning against hypocrisy or the encouragement to pray privately? Any observations you have that you'd like to share? Yeah. I'm attracted when I meet someone and they have a situation or something. I ask what's going on in your life instead of, you know, how's the weather? And they tell me, uh, I've started praying for them there. Is that not recommended from the scripture here? No, it's fine to pray with them right there, even if it's in a public spot. I don't think Christ is forbidding public prayer, but, and this is the recesses of your heart, if the reason you're praying with him is so that he can be impressed by the language you use, the, the in other words, I speak, I speak in well, and I didn't think it was. In other words, I'm not saying that is, but Sadly, there are some people who say, let's pray, and they're using that as a platform to create an aura of spirituality with either the person they're praying for, or they're praying loud enough so others around can hear and say, wow, that guy is a, is a man of God, a man of prayer. And if that's the motive going into it, and see, that's the tricky part about this, because I'm not in a position to judge what's going on on the inside. I would imagine that when you pray with a guy, you're praying sincerely to our Heavenly Father out of love, and that's commendable. But on the flip side, it does serve as a mirror to ask ourselves, if I'm asked to pray in front of the church, or if I'm asked to pray with a friend, am I going into this with a view to garnering awe and honor for myself rather than really interceding for this person before the Lord. Great observation. You know, short and to the focus. On, to that. Absolutely. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Any other questions? Yeah. Observation. I've made a lot of public events and they have to do a prayer beginning of the founder that listen to somebody praying and it's very often you look at their reading I've never known what to think of that because if I'm just talking to the Lord, if I'm just talking to you, I'm not going to pull off notes and read what I'm talking about. Excellent. Judging that, but I've never known what to think about that because. Excellent. This conversation being God, that free ride out on paper doesn't necessarily sound good. Excellent, excellent. I understand people are nervous when they pray too. <laughs> excellent question. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that. It's hard to know where a person's heart is. For example, uh, I've written out prayers before when I wanted to think carefully about what I say. Um, 
uh, you know, a classic example is a guy who prays for a woman who's having a baby and prays, may everything come out all right. Um, not probably the best language to use spontaneously in that circumstance. Uh, so, you, you know, sometimes it does pay to think through the language you're going to use when you're interceding, especially maybe on a Sunday morning. Maybe you want to incorporate scripture into your prayer and you're not one of those who can quote it quickly and accurately. And ideally, if a person is reading a prayer, it does flow from their heart in a genuine love for the Lord. On the flip side, there are people who read prayers mindlessly. You know, it's, it's out of a prayer book and that's what you're supposed to pray. Or they put their thoughts together, not so much because they want to do it to honor the Lord out of a loving heart, but they want to garner the, uh, the admiration of the people who hear the prayer. And that's where it's really tricky. There's nothing inherently wrong with having a written prayer, um, even offering the Lord's Prayer. But as you know, the Lord's Prayer can also be offered in a, in a mindless, ritualistic sort of way, or it can flow from a heart of love and devotion. And that's the value of this passage. It really says, what is driving me to pray the way I do and use the language that I do? So great question, great observation. Any other questions? Yeah. And you were saying, um, I actually think it's a great opportunity, as long as we're being sincere before the Lord, to pray with somebody, that, especially if they don't know him. Because, you know, when we're before the throne of God, <clears throat> people aren't really used to, to hearing that. I mean, they're, if they're around a believer that's actually praying to the Lord, sometimes that can just be a ministry of, you know, evangelism, just like they're on the spot to that. Prayer. Excellent. And you have a very excellent point, too. If you're praying with an unbeliever or someone you don't know their spiritual condition, if you do know that they come from a tradition where all the prayers are read, sometimes it is a nice touch to pray spontaneously to show that conversational aspect. But I don't think either one is inherently forbidden by Scripture as long as you avoid the pitfalls that we're talking about this morning. Any other comments, observations? Okay, our Lord's going to go on and um, talk about the danger of meaningless repetition. Notice in verse 7, he says, When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Now, here our Lord deals with two common misperceptions about prayer. One was characteristic of Baalism. You might be familiar with Elijah's battle with the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26, we're told that the worshipers of Baal called on the name of Baal from morning until night, saying, O Baal, answer us. Apparently, that's all they said, over and over and over and over for hours. Because in a pagan context, Repeating a prayer over and over again is supposed to gain merit with God. That it is an incantation, a formula, if you will, for compelling the gods to do what you're asking them to do. Notice that by repeating the same words, it becomes meaningless repetition. After you've said it two or three or 20 times, the mind goes blank and you're 
vocal cords kick in and you're just repeating the same verbatim message. So that notice that the problem here is that we need to avoid repeating the same words under the false notion that the verbatim repetition of a request makes our prayer more effective. Now, this was convicting to me because obviously in a, in a day, there may be times when you pray at the same occasion, over meals, for example. And I got really convicted over the fact that I prayed the same prayer at time every time we meet, three times a day. And if I'm not careful, it is a pretty mindless muttering of some words. And therefore, it really challenged me because anything I do that doesn't engage the heart and the mind borders on falling into this category. If I'm going through a ritual where I'm just rattling off some words in a way that has I have become accustomed, uh, it can be at bedtime with your children. It can even characterize the music you listen to. Often music is a form of prayer to God. And if, if we are accustomed to listening to music that is high on repetition, beware because the repetition itself can become very mindless and very routine and carry the innate impression that God is impressed by mere repetition. And I think our Lord is being very clear here that is the sincerity of the heart, it is the genuineness of the request, it's not in the saying it over and over and over again that God honors the prayer of his children. Now, any questions or comments on this warning? Yeah. Well, uh, with Robert Victor Alto speak, what we think of this. Well, when you talk about reputation, we have loved ones that aren't saved or prayer requests, mm -hmm. praying for these individuals, mm -hmm. daily or whenever. Is that repetition or that unbelief that when we're praying again or for healing or whatever, that God's not lack of faith? Excellent. So we're going again. Excellent. How do you tie that together that it's not in the, in the sense that it's repetition? Excellent. And again, that's what I want us to walk away with today. What's the difference between persistence and repetition? If you're praying a prayer list where you're just going through it because you've got to go to work and therefore it's reading this list before God without an engagement of the heart and of the mind, or if you're reading over it again and again and again, let me go ahead and introduce that one. I think the same prohibition warns against repeating the same words in a prayer under the false notion that the length of a prayer makes it more effective. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I remember as a college student being really convicted about prayer. And I said, I'm going to start taking my prayer life seriously. So I had a list. I went to the Lord in prayer, prayed through the whole thing, said amen, looked up, and I had been in prayer for five whole minutes. And I looked at and I said to myself, hmm, I don't think that's a very good prayer. Maybe I ought to go back and do it again. And so I went back through the same list again. And this time it only took me three minutes. And so I went back a third time. Now, at that point, 
I'm bordering on meaningless repetition because now I'm merely trying to extend the length of my prayer because somehow I think that it needs to be, I don't know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes. I don't know what the magic number is. And the key is there isn't a magic number. If we pray a short prayer sincerely, it will be heard and honored by the Lord. I don't need to go back over my prayer list two and three and four and five times to get God to hear me. So that's the key too. In other words, there's nothing wrong on a daily basis of going through the same prayer list, but just make sure that in going through the same prayer requests, um, that it does, your mind doesn't disengage and you're simply repeating something you've been praying for for weeks and months, uh, salvation of a loved one. Some of us have been praying for loved ones for years. Pray for them as fervently the 275th time as you did the first time you prayed for them. And you don't have to pray for them 275 times in one prayer. Uh, guard against the propensity to think just because a prayer is long that somehow it's going to be more effective. Excellent question. You had a question, Arkham. Well, you brought up actually the music we listen to too, and I, I love listening to Christian music, but kind of by definition, praise music <laughs> is over and over and over and over and over again. And it gets to the point for me at times where it's like, okay, so after I've sung the same verse, of five words 15 times, my brain starts shutting down. I have to presume God's brain starts shutting down to hear it. But I find it interesting that that is very, very popular in churches. Excellent. To, to do it, um, but I don't understand the logic in it when I'm reading this. Excellent, excellent point. I presume there is a logic or there would be thousands of churches doing it. Well, two, two responses. Number one, if nothing else, if I piqued you thinking biblically and theologically, our time together has been valuable. Everybody has to decide what music they're going to listen to and what they're not going to listen to. But if I've piqued your thinking, is this particular song or this particular worship something that God is pleased by? And rep, God has gone on record as saying he doesn't like meaningless repetition. On the flip side, I think the other danger we have to watch is that there is an emotive effect on mindless repetition. Rock groups, non-Christian religions do it all the time. The idea of a mantra, the idea of, of things that the person repeats over and over again to, to do the very thing you're talking about, empty the mind and give an overwhelming sense of peace, has a well-established calming effect on the individual. So there are, be careful that we're, we're not engaging in an outward act for benefits that are not really biblical in the way that they are structured. And again, my, my challenge here is to think biblically and as mature men, you can decide where the boundaries are. But beware of um, meaningless repetition, whether it's in music or in prayer. Now. You had a comment, and then we'll come back over here. The square with the woman, he was knocking, finally they said, the door said, what, what, what do you want? Yeah, we're going to actually look at that here in a moment, but go ahead and share your observation. It just, we got to think about it. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, what about responsorial psalms? We're told to sometimes pray the psalms. Mm -hmm. Like Psalm 136, for his steadfast love endures for 26 times. Yep. So, obviously, in a responsorial situation, you're sort of checking out that part of that prayer about the fifth time. At the same time, the beauty of that psalm is you're given something different to respond to every time that's repeated. And see, so there is an element of, of variation within the repetition. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where you've got to say, okay, where is that perfect balance between a shift in cognitive awareness and repetition? Whether it's a traditional hymn where you're singing the same chorus, or whether it's a psalm where you've got you know, his loving kindness endures forever, repeated throughout the psalm. Um, a great question. Okay, I work, now let me down to sleep. I did it, my kids did it, my grand, uh, now my great grandkids. Is that something I should have refrained from to maybe have it more genuine to encourage them to do that? Um, I might incorporate a couple other children's prayers so you vary the, I'm, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if the child gets used to praying it as a ritual every night, my guess is you'll discover they pray it faster and faster because they're familiar with it. And at some point you have to wonder, are they really processing what they're saying or is this the before I get into bed ritual that they're trying to get out of the way um, that uh, before they go to bed. It becomes like the Hail Marys from my Catholic friends when we were... Uh, <laughs> exactly. They say 10 or 20 of them in whatever like. Yeah, and the, the, I even remember having some of my Catholic friends boast about how quickly they could say <laughs> the rosary, yeah. for example. Some of my buddies changed the words around and made it not really helpful. Yeah. Now, in fairness to Catholics, that's not how you're supposed to pray the rosary. But a lot of Catholics if there's merit tied to getting through it, set speed records, and in the process, you know, it becomes a meaningless repetition. Okay, now, whoops. Now, notice in verse 8, it says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Notice another promise concerning prayer that He hears and answers. God is impressed by the sincerity of the heart of his child in prayer. We don't need to repeat it, especially numerous times within the same prayer. I don't need to make sure my prayer time goes a certain length of time to be heard of God. He knows what we need, and when his child comes before him with sincerity and genuineness of heart, he answers. And that's what you need to grab hold of. That what he really wants is for each of us to go with a tender heart, share our needs, and we can be assured that God is going to respond. Now, let's get to the parable because our Lord never contradicted himself. So there's got to be some difference between meaningless repetition and persistence. So turn over with me to Luke chapter 11, verse 5, when our Lord tells a parable. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now a parable is a form of teaching where our Lord sets up a comparison between daily life and a spiritual truth. And so he sets up a story and there are several key elements in the story. Number one, 
The word friend is repeated four times in these verses. A friend is someone with whom you have a relationship, someone you know well, feel affection toward, and trust. Secondly, notice according to this story, it is a legitimate need. Our Lord tells a story about a traveler who has traveled by foot over a long distance and arrives very late at night. We're not told why he arrived that late, and it's not central to the point of the parable. With regard to the custom, it was very important for a host to meet the basic needs. And thus the third parallel is that he is unable to meet the need. He arrives late and there's no bread. Now, this may cause a pause for reflection because we live in an era of 24-hour grocery stores and convenience stores. Most of us have bread sitting in our pantry every hour of the day. In this culture, bread was baked every day with a view to preparing enough that it would generally be entirely consumed by the end of the day. No preservatives, nothing that would extend its length. So it wasn't uncommon for the bread in the house to be totally used up by the time of nightfall, or if there was any left, it certainly wasn't enough to feed a hungry guest. So in the midst of the crisis, he goes to another friend. Notice in verse 5, he, um, he goes to this friend at midnight and asks him, friend, lend me three loaves. So here's a person that he knows well, who he trusts, and who ca he can rely upon as a person who both loves him and is inclined to be kind to him. If you're in a crisis and you need help, odds are you're going to go to a person that you feel like you can get help from. So notice this is the fourth ingredient of prayer. He is an intercessor. He's going to a friend who can help on the basis of a friend who has legitimate need. So our Lord is setting up a perfect parallel that we can all easily identify with in order to teach concerning prayer. Now, notice what happens in verses 7 and 8. And from inside, he answers and said, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So notice the point of the parable has been reached. This is a picture, and you've got it in your notes, of an ancient Near Eastern home in the New Testament era. Basically, the whole family slept in one big open area. So the mother, the father, the children would all be sleeping in the same room. What he's basically saying is that it would be impossible for him to light a lamp, get the bread, unlatch the door, and give it to his friend without waking the entire house. And for those of you who've had children, those of you who've had grandchildren, you know what it is relief it is to get the children to bed and when they finally fall asleep. So his audience would have been tracking with him. We would not want to wake up our kids either. Notice the point is persistence. 
And the word has two key aspects. First of all, boldness. He needs some bread. So it describes forceful determination to urgency. Secondly, it involves shamelessness. He's going to keep doing it even though it isn't proper. It's not nice to keep your friend up, to keep knocking on the door. But he doesn't care about that. The urgency of the need is driving his prayer. Now let's pause there for a moment. If this parable was what you had to work with, what's the difference between meaningless or uh, idle repetition and persistence in prayer? What do you see is different in this parable than in the worshipers of Baal or in uh, other examples of meaningless repetition? Heart, belief, and faith. Okay, number one, the heart. Number two, go ahead. I was going to say that the reason to do so was not selfish ambition as much as it was other orientation. Nice. It's not selfishly motivated. What else do you notice? Okay, notice it's not mindless either. In other words, this hasn't become some rote that the mind has become disengaged. So that notice that Jesus says he will get up and tell him as much as he needs, give him as much as he needs. Now, for those who are thinking in here, a theological problem probably has arisen in your thinking. What negative immediately comes to your mind as a result of this parable? It's no longer a friend. Okay, he's no longer a friend. And especially if this is meant to teach prayer, what logical misunderstanding could easily follow from the parable? You pester God enough, he'll do what you want. You have to pester God to get him to do what you want. That God is a reluctant friend. Notice Jesus is going to move to clarify that because in any illustration, there are points of similarity and points of difference. So notice our Lord is going to immediately clarify the illustration by saying, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Now the tense of the verb would indicate that this is a persistent asking, uh, seeking and knocking. Keep on asking, keep on seeking. So he is encouraging persistence, whether it's for an unsaved relative, a physical need. There's nothing wrong with bringing the same request before God. So that we are encouraged to pray with focused intensity. That's different than mindlessness. We're not just repeating the same words over and over. There is a genuine sincerity and urgency that engages our mind and our hearts. Secondly, we um, our, and notice that we're not simply trying to manipulate God. God is not reluctant like the friend in the parable. Notice our Lord goes on to say in verse 10, um, 
For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, the bottom line is, we can count on our heavenly Father to not be a reluctant friend. He will generously respond, giving only that which is good, beneficial, and valuable. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the big problems that I have in prayer life sometimes is that uh, uh, is to pray to God for who He is, not for the resources He provides us. You know, because you're worshiping the Creator as opposed to the Creator, and so um, and then also opening your heart to that which God can provide that's over and above what your understanding is at this point in time in your relationship. Yeah, and I think this encourages us to not only worship this person, but to be free to ask for specific things, always with a humble and childlike faith that says, if you choose not to or delay the response, I'm okay with that. Sometimes our persistence needs to be over a period of time. Well, the Lord does answer prayer. I was hoping I wouldn't have to get to the Holy Spirit who asks in part. Uh, no, just all kidding aside, uh, the the. What I believe is going on there is in your notes, but we're out of time for today. So let me conclude our time. And hopefully this has encouraged you to pray personally, pray persistently, and to claim the promises that those who ask will receive. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you are our loving Heavenly Father who gives every good and perfect gift. And I pray that we would not pray meaninglessly or em with empty minds, or merely to be esteemed by men. But rather, our Father, we pray that our prayers would be born out of a genuine, deep, and loving relationship with you, that we would come with childlike faith and trust, and that you would answer our prayers according to your will, to the honor and glory of your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.